continuing our series, the book of 1 Peter. And uh, today, the message is for those who are hurting. And I know that there are a number of people in our congregation that are going through some really difficult times. This whole sermon series has really been about people going through hardships and setbacks and losses and brokenness and all of these things and what the Bible has to say and specifically this wonderful letter of 1 Peter. Peter writes about the issues that we are facing in our culture today. He wrote in the first century, but what he said has real relevance to us today. How do I respond when all of life seems to be hard? How do I keep my faith when I'm experiencing such pressure? How do I stand strong and move forward and grow in my relationship with the Lord? How do I turn this painful situation into something that can actually benefit my life? I want to welcome the people who have joined us by way of the internet. And thank you for those who are listening by way of Facebook. We are grateful for your participation in our sermon series. Thank you for letting us know that you're listening and that you're studying God's Word along with us. We welcome you to be able to download that listening guide and follow right along with us as we study God's Word. I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 4. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 12. Beloved. That means it's addressed address to believers. Beloved. We are the beloved. We're beloved of God and we're beloved of one another. So, beloved, he says. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Which gives us an idea of why we go through painful and difficult circumstances. It's so that God can be glorified. That's the purpose beyond anything that we're experiencing. Verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a busybody in other people's matters. We'll talk about what that means in a few minutes. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So, whatever you are going through this morning, here is your goal. To bring glory to God. 
That's the bottom line in everything. We want to glorify God no matter what we're going through. Whatever the struggle, whatever the heartache, whatever the pressure, whatever the hardship, it's to glorify God. We'll learn some steps this morning that will help us with that. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner be? Let me just make a quick comment about this. This is bonus material this morning. Not in your notes and uh, not really in my sermon, but here's what the scripture says. Every one of us is just barely able to be saved. We, we, when none of us skate into the kingdom with ease, we get there by the skin of our teeth, by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, by the love of God. And, and the very best of us just barely gets Ah, what about that? So there's any reason for pride here, is there? I think that's the point. Verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Peter's been giving us some valuable principles first three chapters of this letter, he refers to these trials and hardships that we would face. This includes hardships, setbacks, trials, persecutions, any kind of suffering that we might be going through. And when these financial hardships and strained relationships and crushing disappointments and devastating failures in our lives, it is imperative that we turn to the Lord. He alone has the answer. He alone is able to give us strength. He alone has the power to transform our lives. He often uses painful and difficult times to bring lasting change to our lives. Here's what's behind that. When everything is going smoothly in our lives and we're not having any trouble, we don't change. It is only when painful things happen to us that we change. And so God uses His sharpest tools pain and difficulty and hardship and setbacks and strained relationships and financial pressure and crushing disappointments. And he uses all of those things to bring us to a place where we're ready to change. Is God about changing you and me? Say yes. He's about transforming us. Now, if it were left to us, we'd kind of just like to stay right where we are. We're comfortable. We don't want to change. We don't like change. The only people that like change are babies with dirty diapers. 
We do not like change. But God loves you and me so much that He's unwilling to leave us where we are. And so He grabs us and says, Come on, we're going to grow. We're going to mature. We're going to grow up. We're going to deepen our faith. You're going to deepen your relationship with me. You're going to learn that I am trustworthy. You're going to learn that I'm faithful. But I'm going to take you through this. And I'll be right there beside you every step of the way. So he brings us through these painful things in order to transform us, to set us free from our brokenness, from our sinfulness, from those things that hinder us in our relationship with Him. How can I stand strong in my faith when I am hurting? Peter gives us four key steps to help us endure. The first one is found in verse 12. Learn to expect trials. Listen to what he says. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Learn to expect trials. Friends, listen. If you're not in a trial right now, then you're either coming out of a trial or you're getting ready to go into one. I wish it was different. I wish I could say, hey, you made it through. Everything from now on is going to be smooth. Wouldn't that be great? I wish I could tell you that. But friends, all of life is about moving from one trial to the next. You heard it said, that which doesn't kill you, what makes you stronger, right? That's by design. That's by God's design. That which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It makes you stronger in your faith, stronger in your capacities. You know, one of the things God's doing when He puts pressure on you is He's trying to help you learn to love people more deeply. He's trying to help you learn to be more compassionate. He's helping you learn to be more truthful, more honest, more reliable. He's building character in your life and in mine. And so we should learn to expect these trials. Don't be surprised when something bad happens to you. What do you think? Just because you came, became a Christian, you're inoculated now and you don't get any troubles? That's what some people think. Oh, I'm going to come to Christ and He's going to solve all my problems. Hey, friend, listen, listen carefully. You're going to come to Christ and He's going to start your problems. But the difference here is that now you're walking through these problems with grace and strength and power, and love, and the presence of the God who cares for you. It's a whole different ballgame when you have Christ. You're still going to go through the trials, but you won't go through them alone. So learn to expect those things. He says, look, he says, don't think that it's strange, this fiery trial that comes to you as though it's some strange thing. We're always surprised when trials hit our lives. But they are designed by God. Peter tells us, don't be surprised when it hits your life. If you're a follower of Christ, you should know this. Trials are not accidents. 
Those trials are specifically designed or allowed by God to deepen our faith, purify our lives, and expand our witness. I'm reading from James chapter 1, and uh, the scriptures say a whole lot about trials and difficulties. And here's what James chapter 1 says. Beginning in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. You mean the Bible says it in more than one place? Yes, it does. Many places. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. What is God doing? He's working in you to produce patience. Any patient people in this room? <laughs> no, you're not. He's working to produce patience. We are so impatient. We just want our way, and we want it now. God's working to produce patience. What else is he doing? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, mature, complete, lacking in nothing. God's building character, and He uses these trials and these setbacks and these hardships, He uses it to build our character and strengthen our faith and deepen our walk with God. That's what it's all about. And God says in the very next verse, verse 5, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. If you don't understand what's going on, if you don't understand the trial that you're facing, if you say, why is this happening to me, ask God. God, why is this happening to me? And do you know God says He will give you and me wisdom? He'll help us to understand from His perspective what's really going on. So God has a purpose for these trials, these heartaches, these hurtful things in our lives. The second step, we're told in this text, rejoice in the trial. Twice in the verses, we're told about having joy in the trial. Why? Why on earth am I supposed to have joy in the midst of this stuff that's breaking my heart? How is that possible? Here's why it's possible. When Jesus Christ returns, you're going to see the great work that He's been doing in your life. You're going to be surprised by what He's accomplished in you through the trials. When Christ returns, He will gain glory from our trials. How can I rejoice? I can rejoice in this. When Christ returns, I'm going to understand it. I'll see it from His perspective. When Christ returns, He will receive the glory for what was done in my life. There's two reasons. There's still more. How can I rejoice? How can I possibly have joy in this heartbreaking situation? Third reason. 
when Christ returns, He's going to reward us for our faithfulness during trial. James chapter 1, verse 12. I'd like for us to read it together. You ready? Right here. Read it together with me. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. There's a reward for you when you endure the trials and you are faithful. That means you don't give up on God. When you are faithful and you continue to trust God. Let me tell you something that happens when you're going through heartbreaking situations. Everybody around you is watching to see how you're going to respond. Some of them are praying for you, and some of them are just skeptical. Oh, you say you're a Christian. Let's see if your God can get you through this. And they're watching to see how you're going to respond to this trial that's hit your life. This heartbreaking situation that everybody else will be crushed by, but suddenly you have the grace and presence of God, and you're able to get through it with hope and help and healing. Amazing God we serve. And He puts us through these things, not just for our character, but also for our witness. So that people around us can see that God is real. He shows up. He helps us. He strengthens us. That's a reason to rejoice. Well, there's even more reason to rejoice. In this verse, we are told... That when we go through trials, the Holy Spirit specifically lifts us up. He gives us strength and He enables us to endure. Note the phrase, The Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. <laughs> Can I just share something with you? God is never closer to you than when your heart is breaking. Here's what he says. When you're going through the most difficult time in your life, he says, the Holy Spirit will be there to lift you up. He'll be there to give you strength to endure this trial that you're facing. He will give that to you. The Lord is gracious, isn't he? And He's able to get you through whatever it is you're facing. Amen. You know, I know that some of you are going through really hard times. I know that your heart is breaking. That you're experiencing that brokenness in your life. And I'm blessed to know that the Holy Spirit is with you. That He is lifting you up. The Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's reason to rejoice. You know, when we go through the trials, we're supposed to rejoice. But there is reason to rejoice when you realize this trial, this thing that I'm walking through right now, is going to bring me closer to the Lord. He's going to teach me things that I couldn't learn any other way. I'm going to get to experience 
the ministry of the Holy Spirit lifting me up, giving me strength, helping me endure. And that's the promise of Scripture. It's reason to rejoice. There's a third step. Seek God's direction. Listen to these verses again. Beginning verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Peter is urging us, as his readers, to seek God's direction when we're going through trials, when we're suffering hardships and difficulties. He wants us to make sure that we are not suffering for doing something that's wrong. Everybody okay? Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to say to me through this trial? Because it's possible that I've brought God's discipline on my life because of my own actions and attitudes. Whoa, wait a minute. I was okay till you said that. Peter mentions suffering as a murderer. Well, murderers are going to get punished. Thieves are going to get punished. Please don't say to me, well, some of them get away with it. No, they don't. I'm here to announce to you on the authority of Scripture, nobody ever gets away with anything. Because the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God who is ever-present will make sure that everyone is held to account. Now, it is possible that I brought discipline on my own life because of my sinful attitudes or actions. Peter mentions a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. That's any activity that I know to be against God's will. Anything that I know is not God's will for my life, is that's an evildoer. So if I am purposely practicing those things that I know are not the will of God, I may be suffering because of the discipline of God on my life. That's what Peter tells us. What's a busybody? <laughs> a busybody is somebody that's always stirring up trouble. Whether at the workplace, at home, at school, or even at church. It's a busybody. It's somebody that's sticking their nose in where they don't belong. And they stir up trouble intentionally. And the Bible says that God disciplines people for doing that. The Scripture says that uh, God will discipline us. The word discipline, please understand, this is not condemnation. God says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you're a child of God, He will take you to the woodshed and thank you. And if you've been doing things that you know are not God's will, He will spank you if you are His child. He will spank you. And He spanks you very effectively. 
he gets your attention. He says, we're not going to do this anymore, are we? And we say, yes, sir, no, sir. We won't. He disciplines us effectively. He knows exactly how to get our attention. When you're being disciplined by God, you will know it. Peter says, be careful. When you are under trial and difficulty, be careful. Make sure that it's not because of something you've done to bring God's discipline on your own life. And if you want to know if it's God's discipline, just ask Him. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men, and he doesn't resent it. You want to know? Just ask him. He'll tell you. He'll bring it to your mind. In fact, he'll bring it there and then put his finger on it. And he won't let you up. You know how I know this? Been there, done that. Right. Right. He will put his finger on you. He, he kept his thumb right here on me. He just kept it right there. And I was squirming. Finally got still. And he said, this is not going to happen in your life anymore. I said, yes, sir. Got right with him. And he changed my life. Listen, please, please listen to this. The goal of God's discipline in your life and in mine is always to transform. He always wants to bring us to a greater level of maturity, a greater level of understanding who He is, a greater faith, a greater awareness of His presence, a greater usefulness in His kingdom. He's always about that. God is always about restoring fellowship. He's always about redemptive action. He's wanting to draw you back to Himself. Even in discipline, He's saying, Come on back. I want you. Amen. He's a loving Father. He loves you so much, He's not willing for you to stay where you are. He wants you to grow in your relationship with Him. The term Christian that's used in verse 16 is a derisive term. It was used to mock, oh, you're a Christian. The term Christian literally means little Christ. Oh, you just think you're a little Christ running around. What are you, Jesus freak? People mocking. It was a mocking term. So it meant that insult and sarcastic jabs were coming toward the believer. And Peter says, you ought to rejoice when this is happening. If somebody is mocking you for following Christ, you should rejoice. It means that you are following Christ. That you are doing His will. Verse 17 indicates God is going to purge and discipline His church. This is not judgment. This is not condemnation. It is discipline. It's cleansing and purifying our lives. Listen. God doesn't want sin hanging around your life. And so if you're toying with it, you're playing around with it, you're allowing it to stay in your life, and you know it's sinful, He's going to discipline you. He says judgment must begin at the house of God. Hey, don't be judging lost people when you're acting like one. Right? Everybody with me? Okay. So so here's God working in our lives and He's 
speaking to our hearts and He's disciplining us saying, I want to clean your life up first before you try cleaning somebody else up. He wants to clean up His church. He wants to purify His church so that we then can experience the power of God's Spirit and be used by the Lord to reach other people with this wonderful message. The problem when you take your own sin and try to share the Gospel with other people is this. They get the wrong idea of what the Gospel is. So here's the Lord working in our lives. Purifying His church. Cleansing His church. Judgment must begin at the house of God. That discipline must begin right here in the church. Peter asked this question. He said, if God so strongly disciplines His own church that He loves, what will be His fury on the ungodly? Wouldn't it be better to suffer here with God's people than to suffer eternity in the lake of fire? Four. Number four. Fourth step. Put it in God's hands. Peter says, commit your souls to Him. The word commit means to deposit for safekeeping. Peter reminds us that we've been created by God. We've been created for God. And since He's the creator of our lives, He knows what is best for us. And He always does what is best for us. So when I'm going through these trials, whatever it is, Whatever hardship, whatever heartbreak I'm going through, whatever pressures I'm experiencing, whatever discouragements and disappointments, whatever it is I'm facing, when I'm going through those things, I'm to commit it all to the Lord. I'm to say, Lord, You know exactly what I'm going through. You created me. I'm here because of You. And I'm here for You. And so, Father, just use all of this stuff in my life. All these things that I'm going through. Use it in me so that I can bring you glory. And so we're right back to where we started. The purpose of these trials is so that God can be glorified. So that He can be honored in our lives. There's a wonderful verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Why don't we read it together? Let's read it. Okay, 2 Timothy 1.12 For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. Lord, I'm going through some really tough things, but I've committed my life to you. I am in your hands. Whatever you commit to the Lord, it's safe. Good idea to commit your marriage to the Lord. Good idea to commit your salvation to the Lord. Good idea to commit your finances to the Lord. Good idea to commit your kids to the Lord. Amen? Whatever you commit to Him, He keeps. He's a faithful God. And so He says, listen, don't try to handle this on your own. That's what all of us do, isn't it? We try to handle this stuff on our own. We try to do things on our own. You know, we're just so selfish that we want to do things on our own. Right? 
And we don't want to be doing things on our own, do we? I want you to know I love you. We try to handle it on our own. In our own strength, with our own wisdom, and our own resources. I'm going to just get through this. I'm going to just grit my teeth and bear down and I'm going to get through this. And God says, don't do that. Commit it to me. Come to me. That's the purpose of the trial. To bring you to me. So bring it to the Lord. Commit it to Him. Whatever it is that you're facing. So we are going to pray together. Just a moment. I'm going to ask you to think about the next step that you need to take. What's your next step today? First of all, you might be here and you've never committed your life to the Lord Jesus. I have such great news for you. He loves you more than anything you can imagine. He loves you so much. He was willing to send His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross shedding His blood to pay for your sins and mine. God punished your sins in Jesus at the cross. He released His wrath against your sin in Jesus at the cross. And He did that so that you and I could have a relationship with Him that would last for eternity. Maybe you need to commit your life to Jesus Christ today. You've never done that. I'm not talking about joining a church. You can join every church in America and die and go to hell. Not about joining a church. I'm not asking you to join a religion. This is not a religion. This is a person. It's Jesus Christ. We're talking about a relationship with Him. A relationship with Him begins with A, admit that you're a sinner. Nobody starts a relationship with God without admitting that they're a sinner. That's the starting place. That's A. Admit that you're a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you're here today and you've never admitted to God that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, today's your day. You can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can have new life. You can have hope and healing and help that comes from Him. But you have to start today. Admit that you're a sinner. Be Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That He died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins. Believe it. Believe that He went to the grave, that on the third day He rose from the dead. He beat sin, He beat death, and He beat hell. And He did that for you. He's victorious over the grave. He's victorious over sin. He's victorious over Satan. And I announce that in the name of Jesus. He is the victorious one. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And see, commit your life to Him. Commitment is more than intellect. It's more than knowing some facts. It is you turning your life over to the Lord Jesus. You commit your life into His hands. You put your whole life in His hands. You say, you're my Savior, Lord, 
and I need your forgiveness, and I need new life, and I need the hope that you can give. I need you to be my Savior. That's a commitment of your heart to Him. If you're here today and you've never made that commitment, I would absolutely love to pray for you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you want Jesus to be your Savior, you've never made that commitment to Him, but today's your day, I would like to ask you to stand up right where you are. Nobody's going to be hooting and hollering, except maybe we'll be excited for you. Is there anybody here that needs to make that commitment? Because if you can't stand up in here, where everybody's cheering for you, you'll never stand up out there where the world is against you. Okay. Uh, if you're too shy and you'd still love to talk about what it means to follow Christ, I would love to talk to you. There's any number of people here today that would just love the opportunity to share with you about following Jesus. You can trust Him. He's a great Savior. Second commitment is this. Perhaps you're a believer, but you kind of let things slide, you know. Put God on the back burner and you haven't been seeking Him. Prayer's not been really a big part of your life and you haven't been reading the Word and you just kind of put things off. and You haven't been seeking God the way you should and you know it. Maybe today's your next step is to recommit your life to the Lord. I don't think you do that once or twice. I think you do that regularly. I think you make a recommitment of your life whenever you get the opportunity. So that might be your next step. Maybe your next step is to make a public declaration of your faith through baptism. You need to be baptized. We do that here. Uh, I'll baptize you or David will baptize you or somebody else will. Uh, but we do that here. We, we baptize people. Baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't even add to your salvation. It is a public profession of your faith. It's you saying to this group of believers, hey, I am not ashamed to follow Jesus Christ, and I want you to know that. That's your baptism. You are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a demonstration of your new life in Jesus Christ. You that you're a Christ follower. That might be your next step. You'd like to be baptized. Love to talk to you. If you're a young person, you want to talk to me or you want to talk to David, be glad to. Chantel, be glad to talk to you. Miller, to be glad to talk to you. Anybody here would be glad to talk to you about following the Lord and believe His baptism. And finally, maybe your step is this. You're like a lot of people here today. You need to surrender your trials to God's purposes and get the grace in your life so He can get the glory. That just means opening your hands and saying, God, here I am and all of my brokenness. If you can do something with this, I want you to get the glory. Surrendering that trial to Him. Saying, God, just work through it, Lord. Be glorified in Don't let me waste this sorrow. Use it for your honor and glory. You need to make that commitment today. Let's do that together in prayer. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence and the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for what you're doing that we cannot see. Thank you for the way you're working in people's hearts, even now. Speaking to people about your great love, your amazing grace. Thank you, Father. We commit our lives to you in Jesus' name. We commit our trials to you. We commit our heartbreak to you. We commit those crushing disappointments to you. We turn our lives over to you. We ask you to be glorified. Use us, Lord. Let us see you at work in our lives. Let us know your presence. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. For the glory of our Savior. And in his great name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.